0: And welcome to this great adventure. Because it is a great adventure, whether I'm here or not, whether you're here or not, whether there's even a book or not. And all we have to do, just one thing, is learn how to embrace it. But it's a pretty big learn. A lot of stuff can get in the way, big stuff and little stuff. For example, on the little side of things, I'm willing to bet most of you have a word. You know the one I'm talking about. It's the one that gets under your skin. It hurts your feelings. Now, I'm not talking about the big, dumb, blunt words. I'm talking about the small ones, like, you're kooky, or you're vanilla. Mine was weird. It used to hurt my feelings, absurdly hurt them. My wife, before she was my wife, on her way to making my blocked calls list, said, you're weird. Instantly ignited a storm of feelings. And feelings are pretty tricky, right? I mean, they can be so wondrous, but they can also be so awful. And either way, they encloud us. When I was little, in a mood, my parents referred to me as this little dark cloud with little feet stamping around the apartment, bumping into furniture. But eventually, I got older and I got more curious and I got out of the clouds and I asked myself, why did being called weird bug me so much? Especially since it's pretty much my life. I can't tell you how many times I've been introduced as that guy who writes Weird books. I mean, even look at this tour. I love my publisher. I've been with Pantheon for 20 years. But you know they think the books I write are weird. I mean, even this book. I mean, can you imagine that conversation? Mark, Mark, what's going on here? It's a a graphic novel, only it's, it's much, much shorter. Well, it's a children's book. I like it. I like it. Okay, that's a start. It's a childhood loss, an aspiration framed against a digital world at war with a pictorial reality. Or it's a children's book? It's a children's book! Whereupon my publisher, who doesn't sound anything like that, proceeds to book me on this wonderful tour all over the country where pretty much every reading starts at 7 p.m which pretty much guarantees one thing. There will be no children. In Atlanta, I was at a bar. In Cleveland, I was at another bar. And the weirdness, it doesn't stop there. As a newly minted father of an 18-month-old, I've become pretty familiar with bedtime readings, and I know how to rate their success. A children's book is considered successful if by the end your child has fallen asleep. And by the way, if your child falls asleep midway through that book, it's instantly considered a masterpiece. (laughs) So you see where this is going, right? If this reading tonight is successful, all of you should be asleep. I am curious. Show of hands, who here is a parent? All right. Babies, toddlers, teenagers. Teenagers, that's a whole other world. Um, Show of hands, who here thinks they are still a child? Great, something for everyone, except maybe the teenagers. Though actually the teenagers could probably benefit the most. I know I would have benefited from a book like this and maybe it's even why I wrote it, for my younger self. So if you don't have a little one then read it to your younger self. Obviously, who you read it to is up to you, but also how you read it is up to you because there are three paths. The first path, which is the longest, it's not that long, it takes about 30 minutes. All you have to do is start at the beginning and read all the words. Uh, The second path takes about 10 minutes and all you have to do is follow the haloed words. And for the shortest path, all you have to do is follow the rainbow-colored words. So, I think I'll start there. In a closet lives the little blue kite. Only he knows just how scared the thought of flying makes him. That is, until today. Today, it turns out, is a special day. The wind just takes hold. And what joy finds the little blue kite. And oh, how the deep sky beckons. The little blue kite even flies steady. And the more he flies, the deeper in love he falls. You might say the little blue kite even tilts this way and that way with glee, up through dangerous winds, up through roaring winds. How fast does the little blue kite rise? Away the little blue kite flies, higher than never before, free. The little blue kite flies over immense cities and slumbering towns. The little blue kite flies over great jungles and towering mountains. The little blue kite flies over burning sands and melting ice. The little blue kite flies over oceans wild with cyclones. Years and years race by, or so it seems, until the little blue kite realizes time no longer matters. Now, some say, here was the end. The little blue kite was lost. But as it turns out, here is not the end. The little blue kite still flies high above, returning again and again to a sky forever welcoming all of us to fly." Ta-da! The whole, thank you, thank you. Pretty eerie the whole book, some of you are like, this is the guy who wrote House of (laughs) Leaves*," And it's true, it's a lot lighter. It's a lot easier, maybe. I mean, it's just about a kite that's afraid to fly and overcomes his fear and then soars. And maybe there's a little trickiness learning to follow all those rainbow-colored words. My little daughter happens to love all those intervening pages, all the fluttering motion. Lots of contrast, lots of color, lots of action. In her words, dickabow, dickabow, bow Do a day, do a day, do a day. Ooh. <laughs> now I realize one or two of you is not fluent in Dexy E's, so I will translate something like, hey, what are those? I like pages. Can I eat one? (laughs) Hey, I'm pooping again. (laughs) Now, of course, you, the adult in the room, especially when we get to that bit by the end, might be going, wait a minute, hold on. What do you mean time no longer matters? I thought this was about a kite, a kite afraid to fly. How did we suddenly jump to time no longer matters? Fair enough. But before we get to time, I have to tell you about the mud. Three years ago, I got married, finally. I didn't think it was ever going to happen. And suddenly, I was about to walk down the aisle at midnight, a midnight wedding kind of weird and I should say that my wife after she called me weird admitted to being a little weird herself so a ceremony flanked by darkness seemed to make perfect sense to us by comparison my bachelor's party started the preceding day at the raucous hour of 10 a.m. my friends picked me up and quickly handed me over to a stranger who led me into a dim room with gray tiles on the wall, cramped with steam. And he said, take your clothes off. Not some of them, all of them. And then he pointed to a big tub filled with mud. He said, now get down there and get dirty. And you're going, wait a minute, doesn't that sound like his publisher? What's going on? And a couple of you are going, holy smokes, is his publisher Bernie Sanders? (laughs) So let's just agree that I won't do any more voices tonight. (laughs) So I decided I would just rest on top because the mud was that thick. It was also extremely hot. But then I started to sink, and it was kind of intriguing until it became kind of awful. And then there was this like vague moment of reprieve when I stopped sinking, whereupon the attendant came over with more buckets of mud, which he proceeded to dump on top of me, burying me alive. I thought I was burning up, blistering, I was certain. I was getting harder and harder to breathe, and I realized I was about to have a real panic attack. Now, it's true, it may have had less to do with the mud and more with the fact that I was getting married, that I was leaving one half of my life behind on behalf of another, on behalf of others. Having meditated for many years, I resorted to those techniques. I closed my eyes, I focused on my breathing, and suddenly I saw blue. It was blue like the sky, but it wasn't the sky. It was a blue kite, but it was so close to my face that I could only barely see the edges. And then slowly it began to rise. And it was the strangest feeling of being both connected and at the same time in the process of disconnecting, of feeling heavy and burdened, and yet at the same time in the process of getting lighter of feeling comforted, and yet at the same time, in the process of being abandoned. Which I think is a good place to return and reconsider our little blue kite, because after all, who is flying the little blue kite? So I'm gonna read a piece from The Long Path, and for those of you who wanna follow along, it starts on page 22, about halfway down. Kai often surprises his family with flowers, lemon cake or a black and white box filled with figs for no particular reason either, except that Kai loves his family and Kai's family loves him. They love his honesty, his loyalty and of course his compassion. They love having him around as much as possible. Kai's friends love him in much the same way. They praise his generosity and are grateful when he helps them through their heartaches. Kai's employers at the company where he designs games are equally enthusiastic, commending Kai's devotion and hard work. Strangers, too, can tell that Kai is very good and very, very brave. Because, as Miss Pensiones would surely have agreed, how can you be good if you're not brave? But Kai has a secret. Only he knows just how scared the thought of flying the little blue kite makes him. How awful is that! Can you even imagine? To be most frightened of what you most adore? It almost sounds too strange to believe. True, now and then Kai cracks open that closet, if only to just as quickly slam the door tight. That is, until today. Today, it turns out, is a special day. And no, not because it's a holiday or a birthday. You certainly won't find this day marked on anyone's calendar. Kai isn't even feeling that great. Though he isn't feeling so bad, either. The most important thing about this particular day is that Kai has a little extra time. Extra time is a curious thing. No one really knows how extra time comes around. But in Kai's case, it might have a lot to do with a wind rising in a deep sky that is not too wild, yet not too mild. Make no mistake, like everyone else, Kai has many distractions. But one advantage of endeavoring to have gentle thoughts is that distractions are no longer important enough to do away with extra time. When Kai gets home, he hurries straight to that closet. His family is sure surprised to see him hurrying so, but they are even more surprised to discover a closet in their home that no one had noticed before. (laughs) Kai throws open the closet door and scoops up the brown paper bag. The sight of the little blue kite inside takes Kai's breath away and blurs his eyes, though Kai can't say why for sure. The same is true for the little blue kite. Very gently, Kai lays out all the parts on the floor. Then he spreads wide the fabric, which he calls a sail, and inserts the spine. Finally, he unfolds the long blue tail. Only when Kai gets to a ha- to the handle, shaped like a big bee, which was once upon a time carved out of the wood of a fallen ash tree and later spooled with countless loops of the finest silvery thread, only then does Kai pause. One end of the thread is lost at the heart of that big bee, while the other end dangles free, ready to be tied to the sail. But oh, how just that loose end overwhelms Kai. He at once remembers his two greatest losses, his kite of spectacular color, and of course the disappearance of Miss Pension's. Kai has to step away, leaving the little blue kite just lying there, unassembled, unfinished, abandoned on the floor. Now I expect some of you might snicker at Kai's silly and, well, yes, perhaps exaggerated reactions to a little blue kite, but let's agree that snickering isn't nice, especially when it concerns someone else's fear. After all, who hasn't, in the grip of fear, felt certain that their fear was beyond questioning? Whether it concerns, say, a fragile daddy longlegs weaving a messy net, or apprehension before a crowd of open-hearted folks waiting to hear you speak, or how the dread of a dark closet might make you avoid altogether certain hallways in your house. And this last fear can go very deep because there are so many different types of closets. We have all fallen prey to fear, even if all our fears look different, especially the little ones. And when it comes to big fears, like, for example, an immense monster, too immense for any one name, how can we begin to face that if we can't handle the little ones? Recently, I went to let in my Tai Chi instructor. Don't open the gate, Mark, he said from the other side. Now, if you've read a little about Zen, you know that the gate is a charged encounter, especially in the cones. So I was like, whoa, is this one of those profound lessons whereby if I open the gate, I substantiate the gate and therefore impede my progress? But I wanted to see my friend, so I failed the lesson, and I opened the gate so I could have my lesson. And there he was, cautiously pointing out an enormous spider, hanging by the latch just a couple of inches away from me. And I was like, oh, this is Esme. And he looked at me, you name your spiders? I know, weird. In fact, we have three hanging around our back patio. Esme, Picasso, and Pollock. They're all female, they're all huge. And they're all orb weavers. They make beautiful nets that catch all sorts of bugs that are far more likely to bite or sting me than they are. I've learned that they're timid and tidy and even gentle. They also only live about 12 months. So we're at the end of their lives now, and it's been a pleasure getting to know them. I've discovered that they're kite flyers, too. When they want to start a net, They wait until the breeze is just right and release this thin stream of silk, which rises up and attaches to a tree branch. So how many here are scared of spiders? All right. And how many are irked by spiders? All right. Well, yeah. Irked is code for I'm afraid to say I'm afraid, but it's okay. (laughs) But how did we learn to be afraid of spiders? Who taught us to revile them to the point that we could even kill them with impunity? And why? Because of the way they look? Because they might sting us a little? Because they have eight legs? Now I'm making a very, very big point out of a very small, almost nonsensical fear. Civilizations, cultures, and languages are particularly adept at manufacturing and perpetuating dangerous fictions that can make another's life worth less. Now, admittedly, languages can also create beautiful fictions that positively realign our relationship to others. For example, consider naming your spiders. But never forget that language is a creation. That even the fear you experience is a creation. That thinking itself is a creation. Basho, the great Japanese haikuist, wrote, there is nothing you can think that is not the moon, which is to say that like the light reflected off the moon, everything we think is at best a reflection. Cormac McCarthy put it more darkly, the world has no name, which doesn't mean it's awaiting to be named. It cannot be named. In order to embrace and enjoy this great adventure, it is paramount that we never mistake what we think for what is. Of course, getting to that what is is the tricky part, but it's also what's at the heart of this book. So for this last section I'm going to read, we'll start at the beginning and take the middle path. And this time, we'll follow the haloed words and the rainbow-colored words, and let's see where that goes. In a closet lives a little blue kite. Once upon a time, there was another kite. Little Kai loved this kite. Little Kai flew this kite so much its newness quickly faded. Branches of majestic trees tore the fabric. Kai lost count of how many times this kite smacked into the ground. But Kai never quit until one day an awful thing happened. A great roar split the sky, and the thread snapped. For little Kai, it was as if an immense monster, too immense for any one name, and hungrier than all the emptiness that haunts the space between all the stars, had devoured his spectacular kite. Not one itty-bitty shred survived. Kai had never felt so devastated. To lose that kite was to lose joy itself. Fortunately, at his new school, Kai had a teacher he liked very much. Her name was Joy Pensiones. One day, on one particularly gray afternoon, Miss Pensiones asked Kai to stay after class. Miss Pensiones reached beneath her desk and took out a brown paper bag. Kai peered inside, and oh, how his eyes widened when he saw the little blue kite. But Kai never saw Miss Pensiones again, nor did he ever find out what happened to her. The next day, she was just gone. And then for the second time in Kai's young life, there appeared that immense monster too immense for any one name and hungrier than all the emptiness that haunts the space between all the stars. Only this time, instead of a kite, it had devoured Miss Pension's. Little Kai was so sad. He didn't even want to go flying. So you know what he did? Kai just shoved that brown paper bag to the back of his closet without a light. Weeks slipped by, until weeks became months, and eventually months became years. Some might have sworn that Kai had forgotten the little blue kite altogether. But they would have been wrong. Now before we get to Kai's great adventure, let's see how he's doing all grown up. Kai is very kind. Kai loves his family, and Kai's family loves him. Kai's friends love him in much the same way. But Kai has a secret. Only he knows just how scared the thought of flying the little blue kite makes him. That is until today. Today, it turns out, is a special day. Kai throws open the closet door and scoops up the brown paper bag. Then Kai carries the little blue kite to a clearing he likes. Immediately, panic seizes his chest and strangles his breath. Kai returns the little little blue kite to the back of that closet without a light. But Kai never forgets the little blue kite. And somehow... The little blue kite knows this, too. Until one afternoon, Kai returns to the clearing. Kai lofts up the little blue kite, and the wind just takes hold. And what joy finds Kai. At long last, the little blue kite is free of its closet, and Kai is smiling. And oh, how the deep sky beckons. So Kai lets out a little more thread, only to stop short. You see, the little blue kite has started shaking so wildly back and forth that it seems to be shouting, No, 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 no more, no higher! Please bring me down now! Which Kai does at once. In the days that follow, Kai continues to return to his clearing. Even if without fail, the little blue kite continues to shake in the slow wind. No, no, no! But Kai never gives up, and each time manages to fly the little blue kite, well, a tiny bit higher. Now and then, the little blue kite even flies steady. Kai just loves flying the little blue kite, and the more he flies, the deeper in love he falls. Kai never stops freeing more and more silvery thread, and the little blue kite finally does manage to fly as high as a very tall evergreen, though no higher. Kai, you see, has reached his limit, except when Kai realizes this, that he's stuck, he screws up his courage and frees one more loop. Immediately, the little blue kite jumps to a height surpassing the tallest forests the world over. Unfortunately, this small victory comes at a steep price. The little blue kite shakes so violently as if not only to shout, but this time scream, No, 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 no more, no higher, please bring me down now. Kai almost gives up. But then he remembers his old teacher, Miss Pensy And just the thought of her quiets his heart. The wind, though, doesn't quiet, growing stronger and louder and ever more dangerous, which makes Kai want to cry and drag the little blue kite out of the sky. Kai's fear escalates so quickly then that he's sure the thread will snap, except the thread doesn't snap. And then Kai does something very surprising. Can you guess what? Kai lets out a little more thread. That's right. And then he lets out still more thread. In fact, Kai lets out more thread than ever before, whereupon something quite amazing takes place. The little blue kite still keeps shaking, but this time it's not to cry out, no, 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 no more, no higher, please bring me down now, but rather no, 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 not lower, not down there, higher, higher, please. You might say the little blue kite even tilts this way and that way with glee. Nor does the little blue kite stop there, up through roaring winds, up through dangerous winds, until Kai has unwound the whole spool, or almost unwound the whole spool. One last loop remains. And what's more, it's not attached to that handle shaped like a big bee. It's not attached to anything. Only Kai doesn't notice this. Kai just keeps struggling to see the little blue kite, which is so high that not even squinting really helps. And so when Kai frees the last loop, the thread just slips away. And what if escape too? if Kai didn't fast as fast can, drop that handle, shape like a big bee, and snatch hold of the end? Poor Kai just wants to drag the little blue kite down out of the sky. And why shouldn't he? What else can he do? What would you do? Even if Kai has also started to feel something he's never felt before, it's as if the thread Kai holds wants to let go of him, which is when Kai at last understands. The time has come for the little blue kite to fly on. Kai's heart stops beating so fast. In fact, Kai's heart just breaks. But because Kai loves the little blue kite so much, Kai, let's go. Now I'm not going to tell you what happens next because I want you to have that moment for yourself. But it was the moment that happened to me while I was interred within that mud. Like Kai, I also let go of the little blue kite. And it was terrifying and heartbreaking. But it was also transformative and liberating and calming. And when I was told it was time to go, I was completely surprised. And not because I'd fallen asleep, quite the opposite. I was wide awake. But something had changed. Something was breached. The mud no longer mattered. Fear no longer mattered. And you guessed it, time no longer mattered. And also being called weird no longer mattered. But why had being called weird bugged me so much? I think strange is a comparable word. It comes from the Latin extraneous, meaning external. And I think that's the root of it. Weird implies that you're outside. Weird implies that you don't belong. And weird as this may sound, my whole life I've always wanted to belong. When I was little, my family moved around different countries, different cities, different socioeconomic states, where I always felt that I never belonged. But what was I ever outside of? Only that which we are all only ever outside of, unless, heaven forbid, we're enthralled. Powerful fictions, whether they're tribal or national, economic, religious, racist, queerphobic, gender-biased, human, you name it. Alan Watts put it beautifully, You are not born into this world. You are born out of it, like a wave from the ocean. You are not a stranger here. After all, we are all comprised of particles that are already billions of years old. And yet, how often do we recognize ourselves so insufficiently, so sparingly, and in terms we had no hand in writing, let alone creating? Access to what is beyond fiction, to what is, to what lights the moon, to this great adventure, is what this book seeks to give you and whoever you share it with. May your kites all soar, and when you're ready, may you have the courage to let them go. Thank you. Questions? Oh, and I should probably say right here that I was wrong. LA is unique. There are some younger people here, and thank you for making the reading. You've really made my whole tour, to tell you the truth. <coughs> Outstanding. Thank you. Questions? Yes, sir. The question is, does Kai get around to measuring the inside of his closet? Absolutely not. Yes, sir. Smaller work and you know, just this much more concise So, the question was, uh, was how the Little Blue Kite um, relates in process to The Familiar, which is a planned 27 volume novel, and we've gotten through five uh, volumes, which is um, as it's remediating a television series, which is basically season one, and uh, it involved a great deal of, of people. Um, well, the little blue kite is is many things, and and what I wanted to share with you tonight is this just pivotal experience that I had that allowed me to sort of behold things in a very different way. Um, but uh, and so I don't want to put too much on that kite, but certainly the experience of watching this huge project um, get paused was was enormous, and. Um, actually, I realize I'm, I'm in a town where many people have worked on series that get paused. So I am at home. <laughs> um, but I think the, the process for, for, for The bl- Little Blue Kite, as it, as it pointedly illustrates, is about how to let go of those things, how to sort of dismantle those things and realize that something still remains. That's the curious part, you know, the letting go of these structures and these systems and these routines and these futures and these fictions and these plans, you know, doesn't necessarily obliterate everything. It actually can liberate something, but it, it's that something that becomes very sort of quantum. It becomes very difficult to define, and yet it's vibrant and full of energy um, and alive. Yes, sir. Question is what the hell do we do with the little blue kite? <laughs> um, I have, I mean, for those of you who couldn't hear the question, it's it's one easy way of sort of framing what I do is looking at at these books, as all my books is a series of remediations, taking one media and putting it into another. So that House of Leaves is a remediation of film, only Rev- only revolutions is a remediation remedi- of music. 50-Year Sword is the campfire. The Familiar is a remediation of the television series. So what is The Little Blue Kite? Um, I, you know, I, I say that it's actually a remediation of meditation, you know, that it is a guided meditation in a way. And, uh, and while it, it's written very much for Children of all of all ages, as you could see, you could see pre-verbal, you can see a little older when they're hunting sort of the Easter eggs of rainbow-colored words or whatnot. Um, some more challenging, you know, um, texts. But at the same time, it's also you know written for the parent because becoming a parent is an extraordinary experience. I mean, um, it's a kind of complete obliteration of the self, and uh, it can be extremely challenging. Um, One small aspect that that makes that challenging is that you are reading over and over a text, and it verges often on (laughs) self-harm. It is so painful and torturous that you're like, I can't read about this green celery one more time. Um, (laughs) So I thought, well, what if there was a book that an adult, a parent, could read to their child that at the same time that it was telling a story for them would also be, be sort of through repetition opening up a possibility of how their self was changing, letting go of a previous identity in the name of a larger identity? Um, and as for influences, I haven't gotten there yet. I really don't know. I'm kind of, I think I'll be surprised when I sort of step back a few more steps and go, oh, wow, Cujo influenced <laughs> the little blue kite. Never would have guessed. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. Uh, I recently read your pilot. Mm-hmm. I love this. Oh, thank you. So the question was about the House of Leaves pilot that I wrote. And in case you didn't hear it, he loved it. <laughs> um, what is going to happen with that? Well, I have been involved with a, in a dance for about two and a half years. And uh, there was a, a big deal that was um, looking at uh, House of Leaves as a television show that came very close. And uh, didn't didn't happen. And then I wrote the pilot somewhere in there, and I put that online. So a few people read that, liked it. I will say that pilot was, I would say, about 10% done, okay? Which just kind of a notion. Um, then I got very, very close to another deal, like very close. Um, but that didn't happen, because apparently they didn't like my blue scarf. You know, I was just, can you imagine that? Um, no, so I, in the interim, rewrote the pilot and wrote two more episodes. And I think these three episodes sort of accurately frame what my vision of a multi-season version of House of Leaves would look like. So I haven't quite decided what to do except that I'm going to post those three episodes um, on Black Friday, I feel like that makes sense. So if you're curious, you can read them and uh, let me know what you think. Uh, It's, uh, yeah, they're fun. I would say, just for the record here, they're about 65% done, you know? I, I, it's, you know, it's a fluid forum. I like seeing the change. I would like to see how different people added different things. Now, will it happen? Who knows? You know, maybe there's another company that sort of sees the light and says, hey, let's do something crazy with that novelist. Um, But you can't fault them if they go, hey, let's not do something with that novelist. Um, And I guess the only other thing is, is that The Little Blue Kite really does illustrate this open sky that I have stepped into. And... So the future is wide open, and it's kind of mesmerizing and terrifying, too. But I also have started to think about uh, another book. And when that takes hold, you know, I'm very faithful. You know, once, I, once, I, once I'm there, then that's it. I'm just going to work on that book. So I think in the next few months, um, I'll sort of uh, figure it out. So, yeah, but anyway, thanks for bringing that up. Any other questions? Yes. What stage? Late, late in life, late. I mean, um, I kind of needed to understand what it meant. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think your question is, it's very interesting because it's, its at what stage did you accept being weird and then start to thrive in being weird, weird, right? And I think one of the things that's in that question that I'm realizing more and more is not accurate is that is that sense of arrival right that sense of landing that sense of acceptance that i am going to accept this and then i'm going to move on like a champion right it's (laughs) (laughs) but i did i did but i think the point is is it's always a process right it's it's People and this this applies to everything, even writing. You know, people are like, oh, so you've now reached this place creatively where you can just write without fear or anxiety or insecurity. No, it's always there. It's that you make peace with it, you know. It's not that fear disappears, but that you understand its place and you understand that it doesn't blot out your whole sky, you know. So sure it can still feel pain painful to be outside. But I think there was the most visceral experience of being that I had, that, that having glimpsed that, I don't live there, I'm not a saint or, you know, I. but I know it's there, it's kind of like the way I can't do a handstand, like now and then I've kind of like balanced and gone, oh wow, this is easy, you know, and then toppled over. but. <laughs> I think it's similar, like suddenly you know that it's there, and then everything else is kind of made a little smaller. And I think, I think that's the pursuit for me of all fiction. All fiction is about bringing to mind that everything that we think, everything that we construct is a fiction. Now, that teeters dangerously on a kind of nihilism, which is mean I can't believe in anything, I can't. but that's not it actually what happens is you suddenly realize like and yet this world is here in all its vividness in all its forms of inspiration and and its energizing you know it doesn't mean there's the hurt goes away it doesn't mean that you 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 always feel included but it does make you see that you are living under a sky that's so immense that whatever difficulties you have will pass and whatever goodness you're going to experience will come. I guess it almost sounds like faith, doesn't it? Questions? Yes, sir. You next. So a couple of quick things. I noticed that you like to torment game developers for some reason. Okay. All right. Um, well, so the main question is, have I ever thought of, uh, developing something into a game? Yeah, I have, but I think kind of, I think hopefully with this evening frames is it's not just about saying I'm going to do a TV series or I'm going to write a book or I'm going to write a game. It's kind of learning how to observe what path is right for you, how it's going to unfold. You know, I mean... I've had options to, you know, consider sort of relationships. But I was like, I don't know if I want to spend the next five years with these people, you know. <laughs> Seems like a weird thing to do. But sometimes I can be like, I really like this person. I don't know where that's going to lead, but this at least sort of makes sense. And so it's sort of the same with video games. I, 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 I don't persecute games. Game developers. I I really am quite fond of them. In fact, uh, um, there were some great engineers, uh, one in particular that helped with the familiar and all the coding and understanding just really, you know, under the hood what was going on. Um, But for me it seems like such a huge leap, like how would we move into the game, like what would that even look like? Not even, not its finished form, but what would the start of that even look like, you know? Um, But it is an interesting question because Lots of people on this tour in particular were curious about about developing something into a game. So, who knows? Always a possibility. Yes. What were you trying to say by linking the handle of the kite to the tree? Ah, so the question was about what was I trying to say by linking the handle to the kite to very famous ash tree. Now you know I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> you know I'm not going to specifically sort of um tell you what what is happening in this book, but I appreciate that you're pointing out a you know, a very good. It's a ver- it's it's very well observed. I think what you're getting at though is what what purpose is Are a lot of these little nods to House of Leaves, for example, or some of the other books. Even the color scheme of Only Revolutions is in there, you know? And I think part of any story is extremely personal, right? And I hope I've shared a little bit of of that with you. And that includes my books. My books are my relationship to my books and how, in some ways, I have to need I need to let go of those so I can move forward into something else, you know, those, I have to recognize that history, but I also have to realize that that history isn't going to write what my future is, and I think the part of this book that isn't personal, but that applies, and I think applies to everyone, whether you're young or old, is that you can experience through a small, simple story, um, that experiencing of opening yourself up. You know, someone on this tour said, I think the Little Blue Kite is kind of House of Leaves light, you know? And I think in some ways I agreed with him. I, I think, you know, House of Leaves is, you know, is a journey. It's a, it's a journey through, through a great deal of darkness. And um, I'm always most concerned when someone tells me that they're only halfway through House of Leaves and they've been halfway for, like, years. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> you're stuck in the house, <laughs> get out, man, get out. <laughs> but this is a little, you know, it's a little less ambitious. You have to read it many times to uh, to to sort of begin to open up that, that sky, but um, it's certainly more, you know, assailable. And I think as you get older, as you become a parent, as you become, you know, a partner, as you become a friend, you realize that what, you, what you'd like more than anything is to give someone what you've learned through agonies and, and, and other things in a much shorter way, you know? I mean, how great if we could just with one word communicate something that would make everyone's life better. Um, people have tried. No one's done it. But The Little Blue Kite definitely is a shorter route through that journey. And maybe not all journeys have to be that dark. Yes. How did I come up with the little blue kite? You mean like the title? Uh, The The whole book. (laughs) How much time do you have? (laughs) So how did I come up with the little blue kite? Well, partly it was this image that I had of a blue kite that I was sort of sailing in my mind and what happened when I let go of it. Um, but that, because you're very smart, is only part of the story because as whole and fully formed as that experience was, it took another three years to finish The Blue Kite, The Little Blue Kite, you know. It was an amazing amount of sort of rewriting and the story grew and there were multiple characters and (laughs) footnotes and an ash tree and it just went on and on. And then I worked with my editor, and we cut it down and cut it down until it was just as slim as possible. And then there were all sorts of drawings that were made. I spent every night watercoloring kites. And, uh, And then we had all sorts of skies, but we thought, how great if everyone submitted skies. So we went online, and we asked readers if they would submit their favorite skies, and we incorporated them in the book. So when you look at these skies, you, you're seeing actually scores and scores of people who've shared those skies that felt something to them. And then we just put it all together and tied it up in a bow and went, let's go on a book tour. <laughs> Are we done? Someone in, Someone in the very back, there you go. Thank you very much. Right. How does, how does one, de- how did one, or how did I develop the three paths? Um, you know, I think the way it is, is it's like, when you start something, it's just this thing on paper, right? And you kind of are moving the words around in a way. And, but I think as you live with it, and that's certainly what happened with this, you realize it, it leaves the page. It becomes this story that's, that's three-dimensional for you. And then you put it down, you know, in its various ways. And you're like, well, I want this to be there, but I have to cut that out, et cetera. And so there was this understanding, and this, the, the three paths actually, I'm glad you asked this, illustrate a kind of tension in the book. Because there, we could have just done the rainbow-colored word version. You know, we could have made it a really simple story. But there was this other part. So we could have gone with the middle, you know. And eventually what I realized is I began to hear the music of how it all worked together, right? So when you're reading the rainbow-colored version, you're seeing all this art. You're seeing all this stuff that goes unspoken, right? And a child can be holding the thread of that story, but at the same time be like, Wait a minute, who's he? What are, what's, the, what's all these dark clouds? And that's often how our life is, right? We construct even these simple narratives like, we're gonna, I'm going to go to the grocery store, I'm going to school. And yet, how much stuff do we pass? How much stuff do we move through lives that that are that are you know positively changed and also just lives that are on the edge of tragedy hanging by a street corner and yet we pass through these things and so the idea was that you could tell a simple story but at the same time begin to reveal that the world is a much bigger place now the other way works too where you where you're where you're reading the long version more intricate and yet at the same time you can also feel like but there's also something really simple here too. And I think it's the music between these two forms that, that is sort of exciting and different about this book, I think. So it did, it's not something that is, it's not, a, it's not like a concept that you just follow through on. It, it didn't start there. It just started with this experience of the self flying a kite that may be the self and where and how do we tell that story? One more question, and then I'll sign books. Sound good? Who's up for the challenge? There you go. Hold on. Let me let me paraphrase. Now that you've made history with this book. Thank you. <laughs> Wow, personal. Do I feel another level of relief or catharsis by putting this book out? Gosh, what do I feel? Tired. I've got to go to counseling with my car. Everyone in the audience is wide awake. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a kind of melancholy. I wouldn't say catharsis. You know, there is a there's a mini catharsis every time I read that moment when Kai lets go of the kite. It it affects me. I mean, there's such a that's it's just such a profound, important feeling. And then what follows next is I know to be true. You know that that that's where the great adventure starts. It's not where it ends. And so. So for me, it's not so much of a, a feeling as a kind of hereness, I guess I'm here. I'm ex- you know this is this is it, and how exciting that is! I get to be with you tonight. You know, so I don't know what what to call that. Um, let's just call it the little blue kite. And sign some books, all right? Thank you very much. Let's thank him one more time, thank you so much, thank you so much. And we love that blue scarf, we love that blue scarf, we do, we do. Um, What I'll do is I'll move this stuff out of the way and I'll bring out a table where he can uh, sign behind. Uh, We have copies of uh, his book, all of his books um, at the register. We'd love it if you bought the books first before you got them signed. Yeah, really, we would. Um, And then if you can line up to my right to Games Mythology, Young Adult Graphic Novels, that would be awesome. And if you are a, uh, a member of the store, a friend with benefit, you always get priority in the signing line, so just identify yourself. So thank you very much. person behind you. For signing them. <laughs> yeah. What's busy these days? Well, um, I'm kind of doing a double job thing. Um, so I do editing for film and then in the meantime I'm doing some substitute teaching. Oh yeah. Well that's great. Yeah. Well, I was working in kindergarten today, so I was kind of like, Oh, this is very like You guys can get up early. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll email there, you at are some there point. Any new I <laughs> <laughs> wait. What was it? Wait, we <laughs> went to. We <laughs> went to. Did we go to? No. Uh, what was it on, oh, on Third Street? Mama's. Yeah. But there's also. I always kind of mix it up with Mama Shelter, which is you know, like a completely different type of place. But there, there should be another place. I will email you. Um, in new time. When? when Our, thank you. Good Take good care. care. Take care. Okay, bye bye. Hey. Hello. Uh, you? I have many books. I'm good. How are you? Good. And this is for you. Um, I can't tell you. This book came at the, in such a timely way because I've been going through so many transitions. Moved in with this one. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Oh, a big step it's a huge. again in like a matter of two months.